Welcome to Theatre Club Podcast. We bring you theatre news, theatre reviews, and some theatre-themed booze. Welcome to Theatre Club Podcast. This is episode 100. We've actually been doing this for quite a while. Most, I feel like most podcasts release weekly, so they probably reach the 100 episode mark in two years. But we've been doing this since... When did we start? 2018? 19? Whenever Hamilton came to London. Oh yeah, that was our first review, wasn't it? Mm. So yeah, we do more of a, a monthly release schedule if we can here. Cause We're we've about got a, quality, not quantity. We've got a lot of theatre to see, and then we've got to find the time to do it. So that's what we do on Theatre Club Podcast. We review theatre. I'm Oscar. I'm Alice. Welcome to 2024. And uh, what have we seen so far this year that we're going to review. I went to see Pacific Overtures at the Menia Chocolate Factory. I went to see La Strada, which is a ballet currently, or it's just finished at Sadler's Wells Theatre. Um, and that's it for this episode. So those are our, going to be our mm-hmm. two reviews. But as always, we start with a top tip of what show is coming up um, that we think people should be booking in to go and see. Like, what's your next show to go and see? So my top tip this week is called... Standing at the Sky's Edge, and this is a musical that uh, I think it premiered at Sheffield Crucible. In, yes, then it came to London. You went to see it. In yes, fact. I went to see it. I think it won Olivier's. Uh, was it? Yes, I think it was in last year's Olivier Awards. Yes, or it did very well. Yeah, um, and it's now coming back to the Gillian Lynn Theatre, and it's going to be there for six months from the eighth of February. The um, the show is um, an ode to a council estate in Hawley's home city. First, so sorry, Hawley Richard Hawley, who is he wrote this musical, and this is an ode to a council estate um, where he grew up in his hometown. And apparently, it's just fantastic. Well, you loved it, didn't you? Yeah, it's so good. And I didn't know Richard Hawley, so he he's a singer. So he he basically wrote an album, and the songs have been used for this musical. So he didn't sit down and write a musical. Yes, he'd already written the songs. They've turned them into like so the into album a show. already existed, and they've turned this yeah. that into a show. Got you. So and I didn't really know his music, but it's really I really liked his music, and it works really well because he writes in a kind of Bob Dylan esque kind of poetic style, so it works quite well for for a look across this multi generational story. Um, so I, I really liked it, and I think you'll really like it. So I'm glad that you'll have the opportunity. Yeah, I'm definitely going to gonna go. It. And like you just said about the theatre being a really good theatre, um, in that the seats are like you get good views from the seats. It means you could probably pay like thirty pounds and get a great seat. And less. I suppose I less. looked. Yeah, twenty. The seats that we had for Crazy for You, which are the back row of the circle and the back row of the stalls i think they're selling them for 20 pounds unless i was just looking at preview week they're 20 or 25 which is really good and like you said the view's really unobstructed great so, so that's standing at the sky's edge which opens on the 8th of february at the Gillian lynn theater um i might try and see that again i think yeah, yeah i think it go. was i i really liked it i think i would see it again yeah okay so just something i wanted to say I started this year off right. I went to see Sunset Boulevard again for the second time. Oh, have we not talked about that? No. Oh, yes, because we spoke at Christmas on the podcast and then you went to see it at the beginning of the new year. I went on New Year's Day. So I I purposefully didn't have a big New Year's Eve because that was my plan on New Year's Day. Oh, yes. And how was Rachel Tucker? 
Rachel Tucker was incredible. She brought something completely different to it. So there was no comparison to be made between her and Nicole. And I also got to see a different cast member playing Joe. Yes, I did not know that when we went to see it with Nicole, we didn't have the main Joe. We had his understudy. So we saw some called Gregor Milne, and he was fantastic. And I had no idea that wasn't Tom Francis, who is who is the main, your main Joe Gillis, who then you saw with Rachel Tucker. Yes, and this time around when he went outside it was so rainy because obviously there's there's a bit in the second interval in the second act where he goes outside of the Savoy theater and, and the cameras by, yeah. cameras follow him down the street and this time around it was so windy and rainy that like the umbrella went in his face <sighs> and he just styled it out and um I sat in better seats this time well, not better seats but I sat in the stalls. Mm-hmm. Um oh it was just amazing Osk it was just so good. Well, it's heading to Broadway now. That's the latest news that Nicole's going to go to Broadway with it. And so is Tom Francis, Joe and Gillis, and Grace Hodgett Young. Grace Hodgett Young, who was probably my favourite performance, actually, seeing seeing this production. Like, that's the role that I'm, I just couldn't wait for her to keep on coming back on stage. Oh, it's just so good. It's like, I haven't loved something this much since we went to see Gypsy four times. You know, when you're like, yeah. I just can't, I just want to keep going back. So off to New York we shall go. How long is it on Broadway for? I don't know. They haven't announced or I, I have no idea how long it's going to run for. Okay. But it's it's definitely going to go to Broadway. Because um, I saw a funny meme where, speaking of Gypsy, someone was just saying, um, it's been announced that Audra McDonald is going to do a production of Gypsy. Ooh. And someone was just saying, oh, there goes Nicole Scherzinger's hopes of getting that <laughs> Tony Award. Just when she thought this is it, this is going to be the performance, but Audrey McDonald's like, mm, I'm going to do a gypsy and probably blow everyone away. Yes. Although, she would. She'd be a good Audrey, Is that in her range? Like, Audrey McDonald has such a sort of soprano. Mm. I mean, yeah. although we saw her as Billie Holiday, didn't we? Which is not soprano, so Audrey oh, can do it all. That was such a great performance, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Great staging, sorry. We, I remember we sat on... On the stage. Yeah. In like they were some... kind of crappy seats, our ones. We were like right at the side, but... The benefit was we were on stage with Audrey McDonald's. Yeah, it was quite fun. That was really good. So anyway, that was just the best start to my January. And I think that's going to become a tradition that I do now, where I go to the theatre on New Year's Day and see something that I know is going to be amazing. Maybe something I've already seen. Maybe something that I wouldn't usually treat myself to. It was just like such a nice way to start my year. Anyway, right, let's move on to our reviews for this episode. Um, And shall I start with... Pacific Overtures by Stephen Sondheim yes. at the Many Chocolate Factory. So Pacific Overtures is a Stephen Sondheim musical and it's quite re- it's not performed very often. I think it was in London maybe 10 years ago and before that before that I think was its premiere. So it doesn't come around very often because it's set in Japan. It's a story all about Japan so it needs a full Japanese cast or Asian cast um, so it's not put on as often and also because it is a show all about Japan written by, you know, two white American men in the 70s. I think people often maybe see it as potentially like a problematic show to do, so it's not staged as often. But this new production comes to the many air, and it's a co-production with Umida Arts Theatre from Japan. So this production's already been on in Tokyo and Osaka. So already that kind of allays any kind of potential, like... Or is this going to be like a cultural appropriation or whatever? I think that kind of helps that it's a Japanese company. Interestingly, the original 1976 production I was reading staged it in the original like Kabuki theatre style, which means it had an all-male cast. 
playing because that's like traditional Japanese kabuki theater style. This doesn't do that. This has a mixed gendered cast. And also, I think the original was in two acts, whereas this, in 2017, Stephen Sondheim enlisted the help of Hugh Wheeler, who wrote Sweeney Todd, to come and adapt Pacific Overtures into like a chamber piece, so a one-act, 90-minute, no-interval. Like a concert kind of thing? No, not like a concert, as in just like strip the story down, remove the interval, and make it slightly shorter. So just like a few rewrites. Oh, I see, okay. Um, Because originally it's written by John Weedman. So Hugh Wheeler came in and they made, in 2017, they shortened it, basically, um, and took away the interval. And so that's the version we're seeing of Pacific Overtures. And it's a story with quite like a grand sweep. So Japan, basically, in like the 1800s, was fully cut off from the rest of the world. They didn't let any outside influence in at all. And no one in Japan had seen anything outside of the world. And but so, how long was that? I think, oh, they do say in the musical, for something crazy, like 250 years prior. What? Yeah, they were like a fully isolated society. And in the 1850s, the Americans sent a, uh, like an admiral or commodore over to Japan to basically, yeah, sort of invade. Or like not to invade and take over, but to infiltrate and set up trade and basically have like a colonial foothold in Japan. So the musical is about the the shogun, which is like a sort of a warlord. So it's a bit confusing. It's all very interesting, but they had an emperor, but he was kind of an emperor in name only, and the shogun sort of ruled the area. And so the shogun sends out this sort of quite lowly samurai to meet the Americans on their boat and drive them away. So that's that's the sort of main character is this this sort of samurai who has to go and confront the Americans and tell them to go away and he uses the help of a Japanese sailor who spent time in America they're like one of the few people who's been outside of Japan he's come back although and he should be sentenced to death for leaving Japan and coming back you're not allowed to go and come back but he says if if you can help me speak to these Americans then Mm. we'll spare you from death so then the show covers like I don't know what span like a massive massive time span from when basically the Americans do end up coming to, and so does the rest of the world, Japan ends up slowly opening up to these other cultures. And so we see across across the samurai becomes the governor, and as all these other nations come in. So it's a, very, a story with quite a big sweep, and therefore it kind of has maybe less of a personal story, more of a... Historic. Um, more of a historic, quite ambitious look at how Japan changed in these years and obviously you know sometimes known for doing quite ambitious shows and this one was really ambitious and when I was reading about it like even the music's really ambitious he's written the score in a I don't know anything about music I need to like learn about it because as I was reading it sounds so interesting like you have different scales and the scale set that he's written this in is more akin to traditional Japanese music and sort of has less of a melodic through line than mm-hmm. we're used to. And actually looking back, I didn't know this when I went to see it, looking back, I'm like, yeah, the, the beginning of the show does have a sort of more, sort of, in not impenetrable, but a different musical style than when you get to the end, you get a few more sort of when the Western sailors are there, they sing a song that's called Pretty Lady, which is the only song I'd ever heard from this show mm. that is more of a classic melodic song so that's mm. really interesting and ambitious that sometimes just so clever mm. that he does stuff like that like a little night music set in vienna and it's all written in waltz time and this oh. is all written in this this more sort of ancient japanese 
set of scales and tones and I don't, you know I don't really understand it but I I can hear it it's just so yeah, I love that. so clever and multi-layered um and yeah it's nice to see the many air getting back to doing good productions because we were really not fans of what do we see the third man which was terrible yeah we really didn't like that we reviewed it on this podcast we hated it but you know they used to do really good stuff so it's nice to see them back to that matthew white is the director of this and he directed various things at many that we've seen like she loves me um candide he did there so he is a really good director and this is done in the traverse staging that they do there so it's a strip down the middle with audience on either side okay so you're looking at a whole bank of audience across from you and the set was really cool by Paul Farnsworth. It was like sort of very gold with this big golden circle at the end that slid open and they sort of entered through. Um, the whole company was really good. Obviously a full Asian company. Um, really good. It's really similar to... Do you remember anything about Assassins when yes. we saw that? Oh, we saw that at the Mernier. Yeah, we saw that at the Mernier as well, actually. And this is the same... So Sondheim wrote this with um, the same writer whose name I said but already forgotten. Hugh? No, Hugh Wheeler was who wrote Sweeney Todd came in oh. to help with the, the new version. Uh, John Weedman did Assassins and it's really similar. You have a sort of narrator character in this. I think he's called the reciter and he takes you through the story and he's kind of outside of the action. So at the beginning we're in a Japanese museum in modern day and then he clicks with like a little projector slide clicker. He like clicks us into the action and then we go back in time. So he takes us through the story and then Similarly to Assassins, at some point he's actually woven into the story in a kind of pivotal role. Um, so yeah, the staging's really interesting. I think the um, choreography is actually really good. It's not like dance choreography, but Ashley Nottingham did the choreography and there's some like big numbers that are really interestingly... There's one that's sort of like a mock Gilbert and Sullivan number. So when all the other countries from the world come to Japan, they enter with these big... The costumes are also really cool by... Who did costumes? Aiko Mida did the costumes. They come in with these little boats around them and sort of in stereotypical, like, the the Dutch ship has clogs on and they sing a sort of, you know, like, I'm the very model of a woman. It's in that musical style and they all sing this big song as they come in and want to trade with Japan and that's a really well choreographed you know when you see a really good comedic number because mm, if you listen to that you think god how would I stage this because Sondheim builds and builds and builds all these musical interweaving layers and you think how would you stage that and it's mm-hmm. staged really well and it's really that got big laugh in what is a semi you know quite serious show yeah so that was really good so a really really good production what I expect to see at the many like back to the kind of thing. Back to form. Yeah, like a small theatre, but you're like, wow, they've done a really interesting staging and a, and a challenging piece, not like The Third Man, or I can't even remember what else we've seen there that's just been a bit like... Off the point. Well, we, mm. we liked Bridges of Madison County because it had Mostly because of Jenna. Um, but the, the set we didn't like and the lighting we didn't like and we just felt that it wasn't quite polished enough, did we? Yeah, whereas this has just got that kind of, this is just the perfect way to see this and... So I think for anyone who is like a Sondheim fan, mm-hmm. go see this because they don't produce it very often. And this this production is done really well. The actor's really good. Um, yeah, I really, really liked it. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be interested to listen to the score because I think if you hadn't seen the show, it might be quite impenetrable. But now that I've seen it, I'll enjoy listening to it. So this is definitely one for the Sondheim fans. 
and anyone who's you know maybe interested in a a different piece of theatre. But yes, some of it's not as accessible, especially at the beginning. The music you won't be like, oh, I'm totally getting that. It it takes a little while to build. It's not until where the interval would have been, so kind of more than halfway through the show, where you get a song called Somewhere in the Tree, which is more of a classic Sondheim. And that's a really good song. That's like the forerunner to Hamilton's In the Room Where It Happens. It's all the characters, when they have this meeting with the Americans, we don't know what happened and how the trade negotiations were set up to open up Japan. So all the different characters are saying what they saw of the event, like someone's up in a tree watching, and you get the fragmented sections of everyone's. So that's a really good song. But in the early bits, you might be a bit like, oh, this is a bit... And because it, it was in traverse, I was watching across from me, the audience, and there was three men sat on the front row, and two of them, I worked out, had, were with the third man, and they had clearly been dragged along by this third guy who was very interested in it. These two looked bored, throughout most of the show, which was actually kind of distracting. You know, when you're looking over, one of them was on his phone for a bit. (gasps) And then towards the end, one of them started giggling. And then the two of them were like trying to hold in, you know, that thing of like trying to hold in fits of giggles. And the third guy they were with was pissed. He was so furious. He was like, he started like smacking them like on the leg. Like he was, I saw him lean over being like, don't you embarrass me. He was literally like, so I got distracted by that for a bit. It was kind of funny though. To, to watch this I'm like they're gonna be what com- I wish this I'd gonna stayed break a friendship. if I hadn't been rushing for my train I would have stayed to kind of see what their the reaction was afterwards, afterwards of the friend who had obviously bought these two guys who didn't give a shit and were just like giggling which is really rude in such a small theatre when you're on the front row mm-hmm. anyway um so yeah I think this is it, it, I think it's a really good show but the many is quite expensive because it's such a small theatre the seats are around 55 pounds for like any seat so that man should have done what you did and just go on your own (laughs) yeah i know that's what yeah exactly if you love something and it's a bit it's not like gonna appeal to you know a wide audience just go on your own yeah exactly so i would say go and see it especially if you want to see a sondheim thing but obviously if you're like you're looking for that one show to come up to london too i don't know if i could say like definitely go because you might not like it you might find it a bit lacking in a uh, an emotional central mm-hmm. story or something but I really liked it that's all I can say and it runs until the end of Feb 25th I think but tickets are expensive expensive but sit pretty much anywhere and you'll get a good view obviously yeah you want to go there's there's plenty of availability from when I've had a look so yeah that is Pacific Overtures by Stephen Sondheim at the Menia Chocolate Factory and it runs until February 25th, and they do Saturday and Sunday shows, no shows on a Monday. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm glad that they're back on form. Let's hope the Donmar get back on form this year, too. Yeah, I mean, Donmar's we. has gone off the boil, hasn't In their defence, we haven't seen the last few productions that they've <sighs> done, and apparently Next to Normal was very good and is getting a West End transfer. Ooh. So, and that's like a kind of rock musical, which isn't usually our bag, but we've been surprised in the past by a couple of things. Yes. Okay. Spring Awakening, you know, there's been a few rock musicals where we're like, okay, these can be done right. So Next to Normal apparently was good there. Mm. And they are getting, are they getting a new artistic director? Yes, the they are. Okay, so that'll be interesting. We should check in just to see. Just to but see yeah. how they're doing. Nice to see the Meniers back on form with a good old Sondheim. Mm. I want them to do more, more Sondheim. Um, so why don't you tell me about this ballet that you went to see? Um, I think you did talk about it on the podcast when we did like a little look ahead 
to Sadler's Wells. Yes, I was interested in this mainly because of Alina Kojikaru, who used to be a principal dancer at the Royal Ballet, then moved to English National Ballet, and is now doing a production with Ack Workroom Productions. Um, so this was a guest event that they did at Sadler's Wells. And this is based on Federico Fanelli's 1954 film, The Strada. It's about a circus performer called Zampano, and he takes um, a girl, Jez, Jez, what's she called? Gelsamina. Gelsamina, that's it. Um, so that's Alina's character. I only know this because I saw a musical version at the other palace. And oh. all, I, all I remember is that them yelling, Gelsamina. I feel like I saw that as well, actually. I, we I, didn't see it together, but maybe I told you to go and see it. I think it. you did. And, and it had the actress in it who was in Amelie. I love her. But anyway, sorry, back to this Lestrada, the <clears> ballet. <throat> so Gelsamina is taken away to join the circus. Zampano is pretty horrible to her. And she then gets a sort of interested, sort of, sort of love affair going on with the other circus performer. He gets very jealous. She's treated awfully through the whole film, really, isn't she? Mm-hmm. The, whole, the whole piece. Um, and in this ballet it was done in quite the same way, like quite dark. And she's sort of like this sort of very innocent, she's sort of looking out through when she's in the circus tent, she's sort of peering through it, like the wonder of it all. But when the circus is over, the performance is over, the actual life of the circus and what's going on, she's, you know, it's pretty bleak. Um, Alina is dancing with Johan Koberg, who is also um, a former Royal Ballet dancer. They're amazing together. The dancing in this was so beautiful. And I particularly liked they're these kind of dreamlike. So when she's like in her own fantasy, she's having quite a nice time and she's sort of flying with these guardian angels. Mm. And those sort of dreamlike sequences where she, they're flying and looking after her, that was gorgeous. But they became a little bit like hard to tell what was reality sometimes and mm-hmm. what was going on. And I lost the thread, especially in the second half. I was like, what is happening? I don't understand. It's not very clear. So the staging was bare, the costumes were bare, the lighting was just a string of some circus lights. It was Mm -hmm. very minimal. Um, So I just felt a little bit flat when I left because I actually read a review of it when I left as well and this dance dance, uh, theatre reviewer was saying, just seen Giselle at the Royal Ballet, now I've seen Lestrada and then a third one. He's like, the common theme here is that women die at the end. Mm. And I'm like, it's January. It's been the longest five weeks of my life. <laughs> it's grey. It's icy cold. Yeah. Everybody's ill. And now I'm having on a Sunday to sit and watch this poor girl who's been sold by her mother. Abused, yeah. I just want some light relief. Well, that was like the untitled Fuck Miss Saigon play that we saw at Young Vic. Well, um, she was getting very frustrated at this with those women narratives, dying. Being... Asian women in things like Miss Saigon and all these things where it's just, the narrative is just their, their distress there. And having to see it over and over again and how that kind of... Yeah, that's, it's interesting. I think that's that why I can love, be the case a lot with these things. That's why I... Like, Gypsy is one of my favourite musicals because it's not just a big, loud... It is lo- really loud and fun and great numbers, but ultimately it's very sad at the yeah. end. But Gypsy Rose Lee wins. Why aren't there more things that end like that? So would I recommend going to see La Strada if you love dance? Um, yes. But, like, as a whole piece... No. However, it was so lovely. To, I love seeing things at Sadler's Wells, especially like it was a Sunday performance. So yeah, it's just feel it's just such a nice theatre. Is there an orchestra? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This is now a common theme at Sadler's Wells. 
the music once again um, on speakers, no orchestra, right. and quiet. I'm like, I'm not I loud enough. No, mm. we, that's three things I've seen there and said that now. Yeah, Black Sabbath definitely wasn't loud enough that we. Black Sabbath definitely wasn't loud enough. Then I went to see something else, um, the Ballet Boys. Oh yeah, music not loud enough. Oh, and this as well. It's embarrassing. I'm yeah. embarrassed for the dancers because music is what transforms you, and it's like so sensory. Yeah, when I can hear them too yeah. much and the music's not loud enough, I, I'm suddenly aware that they're performing. The other thing that I'd like to say is I sat somewhere that I've never sat at Sadler's well. Before oh yeah, which I always sit the back row, back two rows of the stalls, or I sit the back two rows of the first circle. Yeah, sometimes like on the sides on the stalls. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat right at the top of the upper circle. Yeah, I couldn't go any further up. I thought, do you know what? I think this is better than what we've been doing. Because oh. you're not cut off. But you didn't feel super distant? No. Okay, interesting. I Maybe really we need to it. reassess the upper circle. But I do feel like you're... If you if for something that you need to follow... I know we always say this, you do need to sit closer in a ballet. You need to, to follow the story. But for like a mixed bill, like, you know... Uh, American Ballet Theatre or New York, whoever, like if you're doing like a mixed bill of just like pieces, would you go up circle yes. just to kind of yeah. see the Yeah, or spectacle? even if I was seeing something like, you know, I'm going to see a chorus line in August. I think that's a fairly simple story to follow. Mm-hmm. And also they'll be singing it. They'll be Interesting, yeah. So maybe I would go up there for that. Okay. I just really enjoyed sitting up there. It felt like I really enjoyed seeing the whole stage. Yeah. So that's that was my sort of dud review, I guess, of, of La Strada. I didn't love it. I really didn't. It just felt so wishy-washy. But loved seeing Alina. She's next level. That that girl, like, wow. Yeah, well, that's She's often so the case skillful. with these things, to see someone like the um, Asipova. What's uh, Natalia Asipova? Yes. Um, that thing, like, actually, there were some cool pieces in that. But more than anything, it's just it's just having seen yes. seen one of these prima ballerina yes. stars in the piece is kind of what you're going for, I guess. Yeah. But with these ones where they adapt things, sometimes maybe they think that people will all know the story of La Strada, but actually... And they, to them it's probably really... They think, oh, this girl, she gets taken from her family, and you think, yeah, this is going to be so emotional, and this is going to make a great ballet. But the, to judge it on the temperature of the times right now, I just don't think people want to see a, a really grim story like that. Of someone who's just basically abused, has no agency, and that's kind of the it. Yes. Yeah. Just a bit bleak. Yeah. Okay, well... Um, so I'm quite excited to talk about what we've got coming up because we're going to see King oh, Lear yes. at the Almeida Theatre next week. So excited by that because this is directed by Yale Farber who did that show at the Young Vic that we Blood loved called Moon. Blood, Blood Moon. Was it, Was it Blood called Moon? Blood Moon or Blood Wedding? Blood Wedding. Blood wedding, I think. Mm. Yeah, wedding. blood wedding. Blood <laughs> wedding. It had the word blood in it, and it was we loved that. It was really like stripped back and raw and kind of powerful. Um, and so obviously King Lear is like a pretty full-on story, so I'd be really interested to see. And did Yael Farber also do the Macbeth with Sir Ronan that we didn't get to see? I can't remember if Perhaps. that was also the same director. Either way, very excited to be going to the Almeida for this production. I think it'll be really good. Pretty special. So that, I think, opens next week, 8th of Feb, I think it starts, and we are going the, the week after that, so we'll have our review out of that. Um, and then we need to get some more stuff, I guess, booked in for Feb. We've already mentioned, but always worth mentioning again, because you loved it so much, was Police Cops, the musical, is coming back at the beginning of March. One of the best things I've ever seen. So, I mean, it's not too early to get your tickets booked in for that at the Southwark Playhouse. But yes, we must get some things sorted in Feb. There's some 
good stuff coming. Opening night with Sheridan Smith. Yes, I've seen that advertised. Is that Feb or is that March? I think that's March. That's kind of... I keep saying things about that and I feel like we should maybe look into getting tickets for that. And then, of course, there's also Standing at the Sky's Edge, your top tip, which opens on the 8th of Feb. So that's pretty soon next week, I guess. So that's definitely one we will try and go and see because I think you'll really, really like it and I'm very excited to see it again. So until next time, this has been Theatre Club Podcast. I've been Oscar. I've been Alice. And thanks for listening. Congratulations on getting to 100. Oh yes, and yeah, for anyone who's listened to all 100 episodes, congratulations to you. (laughs) And also don't forget to follow us at Theatre Club Podcast on Instagram. Bye. Bye.